Well, today is an awesome day for uh, you to be here and for us to be here together. Um, I just want to say welcome, um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, just welcome you here to DBC. Um, we're actually in week three of our series called Wait and See. The first week we, uh, we jumped into the text, same text we're going to be in today actually, in uh, Isaiah 9. And we jumped in and we looked at the, uh, the reality that Jesus is our wonderful counselor and what the, the, the offer is, that, um, the offer of counsel that Jesus can give to us and, uh, and also through the Holy Spirit. And then last week um, in the series, we had a, just a really cool opportunity to talk to one of our missionaries, Jeffrey Topping, one of the most mature 20-year-olds I think that you'll ever meet, um, just an astounding young man getting ready to go do some awesome things. Uh, for God there in Australia, and I, I thought that it's it so fit um, having him come in in this series because his life has just been a series of wait and sees. His, his life has just been just being obedient in the moment and just waiting to see what it is that God would have for him next, which I thought um, was perfect for this and such an opportunity for you to hear his story as I already knew uh, much of his story. But today, kind of let you uh, kind of know where we're going. Like I already mentioned just a moment ago, we're actually going to be in Isaiah 9. So if you're an overachiever, you can start flipping there right now if you want. Um, we're actually going to be in the Bible here in just a couple of seconds. But uh, one of the things that I, <laughs> that I remembered uh, a couple months ago whenever I was going through and kind of preparing for this series, and of course this is Christmas time, and I was reflecting upon my upbringing and I don't know about you, but my generation, you know, of course, we didn't have internet and all those types of things. And so at Christmas time, what we used to do is uh, we had the uh, Sears Wish Book. Anybody remember the Sears Wish Book? Yeah. Or the J.C. Penney's book. Anybody remember that? Um, and we were a big town, so that means we actually had an outlet for both of those in our town, which was awesome. Um, you got to, they didn't ship to your house. You had to actually go there. But I remember at Christmas time, like, that was where we went to look for Christmas gifts. And we, that's the kind of Christmas or kind of family I grew up in, that Christmas and the tree and the whole nine yards. So uh, my parents would just, like, hand over the, the, the wish book or the JCPenney's book catalog to us. Uh, and we would sort through the towels and all the other stuff that we weren't even remotely interested in to the toy area. And there was just like this plentiful supply of toys that you could not see at Walmart, you could not see at Kmart, and it was just like magical. It was amazing as a kid. And I remember going through this, the wish book, and like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know these things existed. And back then, we didn't even pay attention to commercials, so we really didn't know they existed until I looked at the book. So what we would do, and perhaps what you would do, is that you would circle the things in the book that you were interested in, the wish book or in the catalogs that you'd be interested in. Anybody else do that as a kid? Yeah, we've got a few. Like you circle it, and you kind of submit it back to your parents, and you're just hoping that every one of them is something that you will later receive, right? So I would submit that, but I would just badger my dad and my mom with everything that, was, that I circled in the book. I'd be like, hey, uh, Christmas is coming, uh, and we're going to get something earlier this year? Are we going to get something earlier? Can I open just one thing earlier this year? Just knowing that I was, that I was going to get something from my wish book and from the catalog, and then I would just badger them, and I would say, well, what, what am I going to get? You just all look surprised. Just tell me what I'm going to get on, on Christmas. Just tell me what I'm going to get, and then I would just badger them. But my dad is so strong, and my dad wouldn't move a muscle. I mean, he didn't even flinch. And his response, and and I've heard it once, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. His response to me was wait and see. It was wait and see. 
what he knew, and what I want to try and maybe in, in, in another way convey to you today, is maybe the reason why God hasn't delivered on everything that you believe he has is because there's something you need to do and there's something you need to learn about him. And in the midst of the wait and see, it's not just a matter of God moving on your behalf, it's for you to become who he wants you to be in the process. Because one of the things that, that we talked about in week one, firmly believe here that when God works, it's always worth the wait. When God works, it's always worth the wait. Um, the, the message today, if I could really zone in on someone in the audience today, um, the, this, this message today, I, I've been praying about this and I believe that this, this would speak volumes into someone who's just waiting for God to move on their behalf. This message today, and I've been just allowing it to just process, in, just process into my own life, I believe this message is going to speak so well. It's going to be so encouraging. There's going to be a challenge too, but it's going to be so encouraging for the person who's waiting for God to move on their behalf. Maybe he's waiting for God to move on their behalf in some relational sense, and at Christmas, there's so much tension relationally. Maybe it's some brokenness that has happened in your past. Maybe it's a person that brought about that brokenness in your past, and Christmas is everybody gets in the same room, so now what do I do? How, how do I talk? Oh, and you're just waiting for God to move on your behalf. Maybe it's, it's relationally. Maybe it's even within your own marriage, and you're kind of going through a rocky time right now, and you're, at, you're coming to the end of 2016, and you're praying and seeking God that 2017 won't be like 2016. Maybe for you, you just have a, a wayward child and you're just like, I don't even know what has happened. I didn't raise this child to do what it is that they're doing and you feel so heartbroken. And you, you started to believe, and maybe you're right. Maybe you believe that you have done everything that you can do and you've just, you haven't washed your hands of it, but you're simply at a place where you say, God, I've done everything I can do. Please move on my behalf. My hope, my encouragement, my challenge for you is this, mighty God, mighty God can take our chaos and bring order. Our mighty God, there's such an offer here, please lean into this. Our mighty God brings order to our chaos. Maybe for you, you, you wouldn't go through and say, well, my life isn't chaos but but maybe you are just you're confused and God is not a God of confusion maybe you're just confused what do I do now I've done this and you're just simply in a wait and see and maybe you've been here for a while maybe you've been here for a minute I don't know but you're just waiting to see what it is that God is going to do next my encouragement for you my encouragement for you Uh, you may sense confusion but God promises order. You may sense chaos in your own being, financially, relationally, in your marriage, with your kids, whatever the case may be, but God promises order, but you approach God on his terms, not on yours. The mighty God, our mighty God, brings chaos and can create order from our chaos. The passage today I've already alluded to in Isaiah 9, I want to just level with you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, This message is kind of insider talk, so if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to sit back and listen to this, and you're going to to be able to connect a little bit, but you're not going to really be able to connect in the way to where you see this come to fruition in your real life. Uh, so, So this is a message for Christians. If you have given your life to Jesus, you need to lean into this. You need this. I need this. We all need this together. Um, Isaiah 9 We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 7. 
I apologize, I'm not going to explain the whole text because this whole series is out of the same text. And I'm literally going to draw out two words today, but we have to read uh, the, the, the passage to get to it. Here we go, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can start to even believe this because you know this, this passage, this verse rather, to be true already. If you've ever heard of the term the holy land, this, this land is holy because of the fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about. This passage would have been, or this, this book of the Bible was written approximately 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It became the holy land because of Jesus. So if you've heard the term the holy land, you know some level of this already to be true. Verse 2, the people walking in distress had seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death or the land of darkness, as some translations say. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. That's victory. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. There's a time of rest promised. And it says that they will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. But now we're zoning in where we need to be in verse 6. For to us a child is born. Jesus would be this child, 100% man. And, for a, and to us, a son is given. Jesus would be 100% God. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Amen. Mighty God. Amen. Everlasting Father. Amen. And Prince of Peace. Again, amen. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal or the devotion or the passion, the power of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What I I love about this particular verse when it's it's wrapped up, or this passage rather, as it's wrapped up in verse 7, it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That means there's nothing you can do and there's nothing I can do to impede what God is already going to do. And there's some hope there for us too as Christians because if your life is chaotic, maybe you have some chaotic relationships, maybe your finances are in a state of chaos, maybe your kids are in a state of chaos, maybe Christmas to you is just emotional chaos, there's hope for you because Almighty God, the mighty God can create order from your chaos. The word mighty God in this passage is the word mighty is the word gabor, and it also means uh, hero or warrior. See, oftentimes we don't think about this when it comes to this time of year. We think of Christmas, and we think of, of a helpless baby in a manger, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I don't think that's the full picture. What Isaiah is saying some 700 years approximately before the birth of Jesus, that there would be a babe in a manger, but he is gabor, he is mighty, he is a hero, he is a powerful God. That's what he's saying. It's not just some helpless baby that you should feel sorry for. That is God incarnate coming to earth. 
Not because he has to, but because he wants to. He is mighty God. He is Gabor. He is ready to move and act on a believer's behalf. Now, the word God in that passage, um, going with Gabor, mighty, the, the word God is, is a very common Hebrew word. It's, it's spelled E-L, but it's the word El. And this is very common throughout the Old Testament and many references to this. Another reference that Isaiah has in a passage you're familiar with is the, is the, the Christmas passage, one of the Christmas passages of Isaiah 7.14 where it says that, that, uh, that there will be a child born. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel. That's what that's saying, God with us. This is a reference to the same um, to, to the deity of Jesus, that he is God, that he was God become a man. At all points, God. And yet when he was on earth, he was a man. He felt like us. He had to eat and drink like us. He understood hardship like us, better than us. He, he was persecuted like some of us. He had family like us. He had the same struggles as us, but yet he was sinless, not like us. He is mighty, Gabor, God, Ale. Jesus is mighty God. In Colossians 2, verse 9, it says this about our wonderful Savior, Jesus. For in Christ, that's Jesus. Christ is, uh, is the Greek word for Messiah. He's referring to Jesus himself. He says, uh, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. That talking about Christians, please lean into this, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given power and authority because you have all the fullness in Christ. This should automatically create tension in your being right now because some of you are not receiving and some of you are not living with that authority and under that power. And because of that, your life is chaos, not because God doesn't offer power and authority to you. It's because you've invited chaos to you. That should create a tension within you. And you should be asking yourself, if you're a Christian, you should be looking at this passage and saying, is this true of my life? If that's not true of my life, why? Why? But the Apostle Paul, he confirms what Isaiah says. When Isaiah said that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, a son is given. He is talking about Jesus, the Messiah himself, and the Apostle Paul after Jesus, after the death of Jesus, after, of course, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now the church is formed, and the Apostle Paul is going through. He says, no, 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 Christians, you need to understand this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. That means everything that Jesus had, you have the opportunity to have. The power that he had, you have some power. That means you also have some authority. Awesome promise. Awesome promise. But all too often, we go to God like a genie in a bottle. This is in a bottle. It's the best I could do. Sorry. Looks like an urn. It's really not, okay? I got this in Greece. It has some sort of value to me. 
But, but oftentimes we approach God like a genie in a bottle only when our life is a wreck, only when there's chaos financially, only when there's chaos r- relationally and everything's a mess. And then we go to God and say, God, oh, just rub that bottle. God, clean up my mess, clean up my life, clean up my marriage, clean up my kids. And if you could put some money in the bank, that'd be awesome. That's what we do. And what we're doing is we're approaching God on our terms. Taking into, into no account that he is deity, that he was, that Jesus was God in the flesh, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father as mighty God, Gabor El. Now we go to God, when we, treat, when we treat God and just go to him like a genie in a bottle, and we just see if we can just rub this thing, if I just give some money to this thing, if I can just attend church enough to this thing, maybe if I just read my Bible every once in a while, maybe I'll find my Bible, maybe that'll be enough, and we think we can stroke the bottle just enough so where we can be surprised that God moves on our behalf, but that is not how God works it's not I'm sorry and, and I just tell you if you're just waiting for that and you live your life on your terms and yet you just say well God I just want you to come fix my mess I want you to fix my marriage and fix my kids and fix my finances but yet you're not willing to be fixed in the process you're going to be mistaken because at the end of the day you're going to you're going to stroke that bottle you're going to hope for that thing you're going to try and do you're going to do all those things on your own power but it's going to turn up empty There's going to be nothing for you. And it's not because God stopped being God. It's because you tried to be. It's not because God stopped being God. It's not because he withdrew the fullness of being in Jesus. You see, one of the hopes of the gospel is this. It's not just salvation one day, someday. One of the hopes of the gospel is now our lives are hidden in Jesus. That means we're complete in Jesus. We don't need anything else because we are full of Jesus and we have the fullness of Jesus and we have the fullness of Jesus. Then we can have some power and we can have some authority, but don't approach God like a genie in a bottle to where you just want to use that power and abuse that power for your own benefit. God is no respecter of persons. He he, he will not be mocked. Trust me. Trust me. So I think there's, there's going to be some points of application today. Maybe for you, you just need to kind of even allow that to kind of sit a little while. And say, is that the way that I treat God like a genie in a bottle? Just come clean my kids up, clean my marriage up, clean my finances up. But yet you're not asking anything and you're not willing to do, uh, do some heart work yourself maybe you just need to sit right here and say am i just treating god like that i love psalm 24 verse 8 through 10 it says the lord strong and mighty the lord invisible in battle open up ancient gates open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter who is the king of glory the lord of heaven's armies he is the king of glory Does it sound like we can just go to this great, mighty, and strong king of glory just on our own terms and be like, well, I just go into this thing and I can just stroke that bottle and just, I can just get everything I want. I have to tell you, that's not the way we should approach Almighty God. I have a, I have a love, hate relationship with electricity. I do. I I love it when it works. I hate it when it doesn't. And I love when it works in the right way, but I hate when it uses me as a ground, if you know electricity. And a little late, but you're getting it. All right. Some of you are like, what's a ground? I don't get it. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> we lived in, in a rental house in Florida, and 
it was really cool. The, the house was great. Our, our actual community group at the time was so blessed us. We moved in. They actually brought paint rollers in the whole nine yards, and they painted the whole uh, the living room kitchen area in the colors we wanted. They just painted it for us. It was so awesome. And that, that house was really cool. Um, and it had a, uh, a three-season room. I don't even know what that means in Florida. I mean, it's Florida, you know. But a three-season room is all covered in glass, and it would get scorchingly hot in the summer. But there was an air conditioner, a window unit there. But there was the, the plug underneath it wasn't working. So I, I did what, what I thought I could do, and I started, uh, you know, started the process and trying to, you know, diagnose the problem. And I went and I literally shut all the breakers off, but I could never get that plug to shut off. I never could. You see where this is going, don't you? You're sick people. So, 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 so I, shut, I tried to shut all the breakers off, and then I thought, well, how hard is it going to be? I mean, there's just, there's just like one plug here, and I could see it. So I, I loosened the screws, and I take the thing. I take, I take the, the old one out. I was like, so far, so good. This is awesome, easy stuff. I could be an electrician. Who needs experience, right? So I just like <laughs> took that out. I went to put the other one in. I, I put one wire in. So far, so good. I went to put the other wire in, and then I went to put the other wire in, but I, I, in that moment, Something really weird happened because I was attached to the wire and the outlet and I could not let go. And I was doing one of these numbers and I could see it, but my mind just couldn't, it just couldn't tell my hands to let go for a certain amount of time. It seemed like forever, but it could have been like a couple seconds. And I was literally being zapped and I could not let go of that joker. And I finally let go and I thought, something is absolutely wrong with what I'm doing here. But because a plug is not rocket science, I mean, there's only three wires, so I unhook it. So far, so good. I was like, it's no big deal. I got this, right? So, so then I, I just decided, I was like, well, I know where one of the wires goes, but I tried to switch the other two wires. And in the midst of switching the other two wires, I switched, I put one in. I was like, I got, it. I got this thing nailed. I went to hook up that other one, and it zapped me just like the first one. I tell you, as the Lord is my witness, we lived in that house for I don't know how many months or a year, whatever we lived in it, that electricity, never powered that air conditioner in the time that we lived there. Um, I could not get the power to work. And, And the reason why I share that story with you is this, is electricity has to be approached in its own way. Electricity doesn't matter if it's you or me messing with that outlet. Electricity doesn't matter. Electricity is no respecter of persons. It goes by its own rules, and whatever happens with that electricity, if you don't abide by the rules, you will get fried. Trust me. It's true of me, and it would be true of you. And I just want you to kind of lean into this reality. We have to understand that God also has to be approached in his way, not just in our way. Scripturally, he's laid out some ways that we can approach Almighty God, and I praise God we can approach Almighty God. I praise God that we can, we can approach Gabor El, the mighty God, Jesus, and I, I, I just praise God for that. But the reality is this, because he is no respecter of persons, we have to approach him in his way and not just in our way. So this will not be on the screen. Well, this, this next phrase will be on the screen, but then the points to really the application behind it will not be on the screen, regret, regrettably. But for you, and I would just say, if I could give you one bit of practical application that is so useful to just helping and just allowing, inviting, if you would, inviting God to create some order from your chaos, it has to start here. Invite God to do a work in you 
before asking Him to do a work for you. Invite God to do a work in you before asking Him to do a work for you. You see, if you just invite God to do a work for you, you're treating God like a genie in a bottle. You're just going to stroke that thing and, come on, God, do me a favor. Fix my kids. Fix my marriage. Fix all my relationships. Fix my boss. You know, fix everything. Instead, that's the genie in a bottle, and that's, saying, that's going into it with the mindset of maybe there's, maybe it, that mindset, you go into it thinking that you don't need to be changed. But maybe the very thing that you need to begin with is inviting God to do a work in you before asking God to do a work for you. Because if you invite God to do a work in you, you invite him. All of a sudden, and I I know this, I know this from my own experience, I know this from pastoral work, I know this just from from just being a follower of Jesus, being around followers of Jesus. I know that when you do this, Order will come to your life. Uh, some things that, that are just confusing and chaotic for you will, will disappear, and you will start to have order. And automatically, in, in that moment, some of the things that you thought were so important, they actually become less important. For some of the things that you've just absolutely been overwhelmed about, you just can start trusting God with them. So I want to give you some practical ways of doing this to invite God to do a work in you before asking him to do a work for you. I just want to level with you, though, before I get to these. Um, I don't know what it is that you're trusting God for right now. I don't know what it is that you're so burdened with. I don't know that, that you just, you need Gabor El, you need mighty God to move on your behalf. I don't know what that is. I don't know what your story is right now. I'm just trusting that God does and that, that if you're honest with him and you're honest with this process, that the result that you desire will be met. So this is going to be landing on the inviting God to do a work in you. Here's how you can do it. First is by starting the process of repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, what it says in Romans 2.4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the judgment of God. It's not that God's wagging his finger over your life and he's judging everything, every single thing that you do. No, it's the kindness of God. Understanding that that God was so kind that he sent his son Jesus to die on your behalf. That's a level of kindness that you cannot experience on earth outside of Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Not for his enemies, but his friends. That's what it says in the Gospel of John, referring to Jesus. But there is no greater love. There is no greater act of kindness. And because of that, we have to get to a place where we have to begin to repent of the way that we used to think and the way that we used to live and the way that we used to spend our money and the way that we used to have our marriage before Jesus. And now, when you become a follower of Jesus, you begin the repentance process. We're going to get to this in a second. You begin the repentance process of your old way of thinking, your old way of living, and you submit to Him. When Jesus becomes your Lord and your Savior, that means He is the one who's in charge. And that means you have to turn away from your old way of living, your old broken way of living, and your old broken way of thinking, and your old broken way of loving. You repent of that. And you turn from your old way and you turn to God. 
But it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. The kindness that was expressed on the cross. The kindness that was fulfilled by that empty tomb. But also, if you're a Christian, we should be producing fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what it says in Matthew 3 8. So, as a Christian, this, this isn't just some salvation. Well, I'm, I'm saved. I got my fire insurance. I've, thank you, Jesus. You died for me. I accepted that. Now I get to live my life on my terms. That's, that's not salvation at all. If you have truly received the grace of God, if you've truly received it, not just heard it, but, but embraced the grace of God and you've really repented of your old way of doing it, you are now in a continual process of repentance. Because now, as you understand that maybe, listen to me, please, maybe some of that chaos that exists in your life is what you're creating. Maybe that's something you have to own. Maybe you, maybe you just can't point the finger at somebody else anymore. You have to point it at yourself to say, maybe I'm doing this. Maybe I'm not repenting. Maybe the reason why I'm losing friends right now, maybe the reason why I'm losing my marriage right now, maybe the reason why I am losing my kids right now, maybe the reason why I'm so financially strapped and overwhelmed right now is because I have not, a good, I have not done a good enough job of repenting. Because we're supposed to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And fruit is change. The gospel not only brings salvation, it brings change. Have you been changed by the gospel? Some of you certainly have. But have you been changed? Are you the same person you were before you gave your life to Jesus? If you're the same person before and after, then I would have to say some things of your life. That for The one thing I will bring to your attention now is you need to ask God if you're saved at all. You have to ask God that. I don't know that. I can shepherd you, but I don't know the true condition of your soul. Another thing that we can do as followers of Jesus when we're, when we're approaching God and the right way to approach God this is certainly a positive thing. I think it's incredible. Hebrews 4.16 says this, that we, can, we are approaching the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence. We can go to God with confidence as followers of Jesus because of the throne of grace, because Jesus Christ sits on a throne. He is the, the perfect image of grace. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have received the grace of God. And now, because you've received the grace of God, you can approach the throne of God through Jesus. Such a promise there. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, you just don't have to live your life by yourself anymore. You can go to God that He invites you to go to Him. Because we're going to God. We're inviting God to do a work in us before we're asking Him to do a work for us. Also, we, when we approach God, we should approach God with humility. You see, the genie in the bottle, there's no humility in that. It's, it's wanting God to, to it's, it's us trying to be the puppet master of, of, of mighty God, of Gabor El, and that's just not going to happen. That's not going to be the result that you long for. But we have to use humility. We have to humble ourselves, as James said in, in James 4, verse 10. We have to humble our, ourselves, humble yourselves before God, and He will lift us up. So we go to God with, with confidence, not arrogance. 
but we go to God with humility after levels of repentance and we can approach God with humility. Another one is this. We can approach God by faith. And the amazing thing, I think one of the most beautiful passages in the scriptures is found in Matthew 17 where it talks about well, how much faith does it take to move mountains? And it was the type of, it was the size of faith of a mustard seed. And some of you, 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 you maybe are, are wrong in your thinking where you think you have to have some huge amount of faith for God to do anything for you. That's just not true in the scriptures. It only takes the faith the size of a mustard seed for God to move on your behalf, for God to take that chaos and bring order for mighty God, for Gibor Ale, just a small amount of faith, the, the faith the size of a mustard seed. And it says in that text in Matthew 17 that that is enough to move mountains. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Hebrews 11. And there's all these great people um, of Old Testament just tell just a little bit of their story and brings their names out. And, and the, the, the two words that precede their story is by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, this person, by faith, that person, men and women of God who did extraordinary things. That God did extraordinary things through them after they were obedient. And it says, and it's just this, this document in Hebrews 11, I think is just so overwhelming and exciting. It says, by faith they did these things, but not one of those people were perfect. Uh, not, not one of those people could sit back and say, you know what, I did all of these things right. I obeyed God perfectly. Not one of them. But yeah, they're still recognized by faith because it only takes the amount of faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. Maybe for you, Maybe you just have that amount of faith. And you're like, God, I don't know. I'm kind of struggling right now. I just, my life's just chaos. There's just chaos. And maybe you just need to trust God and say, you know what? God, I'm believing in the power of your word that, that this, is, this, is amount, this is the amount of faith I have right now. But that's all you said I'd need. And just claim that to be true and move forward in your walk. And lastly, Psalm 145, 18 Talking about approaching God. I, I love this. Psalm 145, 18 says this. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. That the Lord is near. So if, if you've taken these steps and you're approaching God uh, with humility and steady acts of, repent, of repentance, you're producing fruit in keeping with repentance, you can go to God with confidence and you can go to God in prayer that God hears your prayer that God can and will and will promise to move on your behalf when you approach him the right way he is mighty God but he will not be a genie in a bottle he will not be Jesus not only tells his followers what to do as a wonderful counselor but since he is mighty God he can also give them the power to do it I think one of the, the enemies of this truth is we live in such a fast-paced, fast-food, microwave 
you know, we're, we're on Instagram, and if we put a picture on Instagram, we want to know automatically why well, we haven't had a 20, we haven't had 20 people to like our picture on Instagram in three minutes. Like, we just, it, we're just so driven to results right now, right now, right now. And, and I think oftentimes, culturally, waiting, waiting has actually been, is, is becoming the enemy. But God has a long history of making people wait because he not only has a plan for them, he's also preparing them for the plan. God has a plan for you, Christian, but he's also preparing you for the plan. Maybe the reason why there's some chaos right now in your life is because you have not obeyed like you ought to. You've not repented like you ought to. Maybe you haven't gone to God with confidence, but you've gone to God with arrogance. Maybe you have not even approached the throne of grace and you're simply trying to do it all yourself, and yet you're wondering why you're in a wait and see, and maybe you've been there for five minutes, or maybe it's been ten years, but yet the result is still the same. God seems, although he's not, seems so distant from you and he's not doing the things that you're asking him to do is maybe because you're not approaching him in the way that you ought to. And because you're trying to stroke the bottle. (laughs) Instead of approaching him in the way that scripture tells us to. I know that waiting is difficult. I know that life is full of wait and sees. But I have confidence. And I've seen it. I've lived it. I've seen it. I've counseled it. We've lived it. We're in the midst of it. That when God is at work, it's always worth the wait. When God's at work, it's always worth the wait. So for you right now, I want to encourage you. Maybe for you, you feel like you've been in a wait and see for a long, long time. And you've just, you've been crying out to God, desperate for God to, to move on your behalf as mighty God, Gabor El, to move on your behalf. I just want to say, don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. I want to share one last scripture with you. This comes from John 16, verse 33. When Jesus offers courage to his people, he offers courage to his people. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You see, peace is the antithesis of chaos. You can't have a life of peace if you're in the midst of chaos. Christ, the king, is orderly, not chaotic. Chaos is the antithesis. Chaos is the antithesis. It's the opposite of order. So it says this, so that in me you will have peace peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world let us rest in that when it says but take courage and other translations say or it says but take heart but other translations say but take courage have courage keep going forward christian because God has an incredible plan for you and just trust that he's preparing you for the plan. And the the thing that you're crying out to God for, the thing that may seem chaotic for you, and maybe it's because you haven't repented enough, maybe because you haven't gotten, you you haven't been, uh, you haven't had a level of humility before God, maybe for you're just trying to stroke the bottle and just ask the genie to just give you three wishes to make your life right. Let us repent of that. Let us turn away from that. God, 
we just ask that you would just, inv- we just invite you to do a work in us today. God, I just ask you, I invite you to do a work in me today. God, I know that you have an incredible plan for me, just as you have an incredible plan for these folks in the room right now. But God, give us the continued faith to believe in the midst of a wait and see that when you're at work, it's worth the wait. We praise you, Jesus. Do a mighty work in us and through us. Father, remind us in all things that you have a plan for us and you're still preparing us for that plan. We honor you, Jesus. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.